What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Unscripted, the show that brings you professionals from all walks of life, touching on their backstory, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition, while providing you practical tips that might help you on your path. I'm your host, two-time Olympian, Olympic bronze medalist, author, and motivational speaker, Akeem Haynes. Now, let's get into the episode. This week on the show, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. She represented Sierra Leone at the 2016 Olympic Games. And in those games, she was also the flag bearer for Sierra Leone during the closing ceremony. She's a strong advocate for education for women's rights in sports and out. She's done a lot of work in bringing light to issues back home in her native country, Sierra Leone. Along with that, she's also a digital strategist and currently leads a team with Highlight Her, which is a broadcasting and media company that highlights women in sports and culture. She's also worked with Overtime, Bleacher Report, House of Highlights. She's a woman that wears many hats with a heart to match. My guest this week, Hafsa Kamara. Hafsa and I go way back. You know, we used to be in the same training group back in Phoenix. And at the time, they were called World Athletics Center. You got to be a real, real OG to remember World Athletics Center. You had to be back there at the beginning because now they rebranded and their name is now Altis. But that's where we met. And I remember seeing her come into the group and quickly noticed that she was about her business. She would come in and train and she would be out. But she always had a good spirit about her. And I had a great conversation with Half in this episode. We get into the importance of Ramadan and reflecting during that time. We talk about her early childhood stories of her growing up with her siblings. We talk about building a relationship with her stepfather and the time it took to build that foundation. We talk about why she didn't take track and field seriously until she was in college. Right. We talk about why she uses her platforms to bring light to Sierra Leone and women's right. We touch on why the title Olympian does not necessarily mean your life changes financially. Yes, we get into that. We talk about how she got into the digital marketing space. We talk about how she stays encouraged when she gets discouraged and the ups and downs that come with track and field, but also in life in general. And she gives us some practical ways how she handles the day-to-day -day ups and down mental battles that she faces. And we get into so much more. Hafsa has a lot of great things that she shared in this episode. And this is an episode that you're not going to want to miss, especially if you've been following Hafsa's journey along the way. You know, she's got a lot of experience in many different areas. So definitely not gonna want to miss this episode. But before we go, if you've been enjoying the episodes and getting value from them, do me a favor and leave a rating and review of the show. This truly helps a lot and really does help move the show forward, man. If you can also share this episode with a friend, right? The show doesn't grow unless the people that are listening to it helps us grow. And so I appreciate each of you, but if you could share it with a friend, leave a rating and review, man, that would mean the world to me. And if you would like to check out the visual episode, you can check it out on our new YouTube channel. I will have all of the links inside of the show notes. 
So with all that being said, enjoy this week's episode with Hafsa Kamara. I know we tried to do this the other day, so I appreciate you for taking the time. Uh, you know me, man. I like to get into it. I don't waste time. And so I want to start here because it seems like you got a lot on your plate. And it seems like you just finished off unloading some stuff on your plate. And you probably picked up some more. So mm -hmm. let's realign, reconstruct a little bit. Uh, you know me. I like to start with gratitude with everything that I do. So for me, Hafsa, give me three things you're grateful for today. Three things I'm grateful for today. Um, one, I would have to say um, the my circle, people in my circle. And that's from in regards to like professional, personal, um, family, and how supportive that they are and how they see me. Um, regardless of what I do, they see like my true self. So I think I'm, I'm really grateful for like people in my circle. Um, let's see. It's funny. Like I do this every day, but like now to myself, but now that I'm put on the spot, I was on like, the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On the spot. <laughs> um, so like the, the little things, um, I would say I'm grateful for time um, because it's so precious. And like, even like any little bit of time that I have in the morning just to be with myself, like I'm grateful for that. So that little morning uh, reflection. Yeah. Um, and running hot water, man. Took a nice warm shower this morning. And I was like, like, oh no, like it was just. For some, thing, for some reason, I woke up and I was just like sluggish. Yeah, and then yeah. I got the shower and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is this is some good stuff, you know? Honestly, so, like a hot shower is underrated to the max. Like, you know, underrated. I remember in Jamaica sometimes, yo, it, you know, it, it it's a lot of work to get some hot water if you don't have that indoor plumbing. Yeah. Uh, honestly, all this that we're going to talk about today is, is probably stuff. Like we would talk about this whether we were on camera or not. All right. <laughs> so it brings me to my first question. Uh, Ramadan. Right. Mm -hmm. And when this comes out, Ramadan will probably be close to being finished. Right. But when it comes to Ramadan this year, half, what, what has been different than has it been different this time around than any other year? And for those who don't know much about Islam, um, what is the main focus of Ramadan for those who might not know? Yes. So to answer that question, the main focus of Ramadan is getting closer to Allah, getting closer to our creator, to God. Um, I mean, think of it like this. There's 12 months out of the year. Yeah. Um, and following the Islamic calendar, Ramadan is a month in which we are dedicating ourselves to like in full scopes, like we, we dedicate ourselves to a lot, like with our five to daily prayers and every day, but in full scope, um, committing to ourselves to getting closer to him, reading the Quran, connecting back to like the Ummah, the community, and those who are our brothers and sisters in faith, and even bringing in those who, you know, are curious or interested or have that respect and appreciation of our faith. And like, it's just a very special time of the year full of just, you know, so much blessings is what yeah. we pray for. But we also ask for, for forgiveness, for awareness, for protection um, during this time. And, 
you know, this one, this Ramadan actually has been challenging. I will say this, every Ramadan is going to be different. Absolutely. Because every year or every moment you're in a different part of your life. And so this one for me, um, you know, I live by myself here in Atlanta and I just felt the need to want to be close to family. And they're all the way, like, you know, my family, like is spread all over the part, all over the way, all over the world. But my mom, my, most of my mom, my mom and most of my siblings are in LA. So I took for granted to say when I was living in LA and being able to, you know, break my fast with them, um, you know, yeah. every other day, um, and just be able to pray with them and everything like that. And now that I'm here in Atlanta, it's like, oh, uh, like, ain't nobody going to wake me up at like five o'clock in the morning, but me, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So like, if I'm going to break my fast, I have to cook, you know, like, and I, you see, like, I'm calling my mom, like every single moment, every single day, just like, Hey, look at what I cooked for Iftar. Or, hey, did you guys wake up? Just because like this Ramadan, I just felt like I I'm missing that family aspect that I'm so need right now in my life. Um, but also like wanting to open up another level in my closeness and awareness of, of a God of Allah and just um, what does being a Muslim mean to me? And what am I willing to dedicate towards that? Um, I feel as if like in any faith, there's always a challenge in yeah. like, what society is telling you mm-hmm. and what it is that your your Lord or your, or your faith is telling you and the path that you should walk in. So like, I'm doing a lot of reflection on, okay, like, you know, what am I willing to commit myself to? What should I be willing to commit myself to um, if I am saying I'm a Muslim? So yeah, it's a lot of deep stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, right? Cause the other day, which this will bleed over to my next question. The other day, uh, I was traveling. I went into Vancouver to get some stuff done. And then I flew back and I was at the airport for like five hours. And I was just like, yo, it, it just was one of those moments for me where I was just like, yo, I, I'm at the airport. I felt the need to pray because I felt a lot of weight and strain on my body. Right. And I was just like, yo, God, like what? what is this next step going to look like? Because there's always this uncertainty in certain things. And, you know, sometimes you need direction, but it doesn't always come to you in the form that you need it in. And then when you are measuring your faith, it's different from everybody else's, but there are times when you may be praying or you may be hopeful, but it's still hard, right? Mm -hmm. Do you ever find during hard times have to have some doubling down on your faith? Because again, Ramadan, right? It's 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 not really conducive for training because you're you're fasting a lot, right? So coaches, if they don't understand, they're just like, yo, your your session is kind of declining. Mm-hmm. You're not being optimal right now. And yo, we got a race in like three weeks. Like, what's going on here? You talked about doubling down the importance of your faith, but has there been times where you're just like, man, uh, man, I. I don't know about this today. It's, it's tough. And how do you find strength to kind of rewire and turn that around? I mean, like, I had that moment on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I had that moment on Saturday. We were, you know, we were supposed to meet on Saturday. I was yeah. like, oh, wait, yeah, this ain't, <laughs> this can't happen. Um, and, you know, when those moments happen, especially like with Ramadan and fasting, training, working, um, 
I'm realizing like there's been times before in which I didn't even call on on God, but he saw that I was like in need of him to get to a solution that I'm willing to make that sacrifice regardless of what anyone has said in regard, like willing to make that sacrifice during this month of Ramadan, whether it's um, adjusting my training, adjusting my work schedule, adjusting my socializing schedule, because I know that I'm committing to myself to a greater power that I know will be there for me regardless, you know, Mm -hmm. like that love is regardless. It doesn't come with conditions. So with that, um, you know, just explaining to coach, like, this is something that I'm committed to. So whether you like it or not, that's cool. It's part of me. Like, <laughs> it's going <laughs> to continue. <laughs> yeah. I'll be mean, like, you know, like, listen, Ramadan is beyond me. So I'm going <laughs> to, so you got to talk to someone, you got to talk to God because yeah. I'm doing it regardless. But um, in the moments in which it's like a struggle and like, I'm really down and like trying to figure out, I really do tap more into like my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, with praying, but also being old time to reflect and let my mind calm down. Cause I'm the type of person, like if I'm, there's an issue, my mind is going like 10,000 miles per hour. Yeah. I'm analyzing everything. And really that answer could be right in front of me, but I'm not seeing it. Cause I'm looking all the way around and trying to like do different things. So I also take a moment to just relax and like turn off all the sensors that are going on to, to get some clarity. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's what this month is, is to to just relax. Like I've spent almost almost every night in the masjid, in the mosque, um, praying like our our night prayers. And right in the it's like it also happens like right in the middle of like stuff picking up as far as like work and like all these different things. But to be able to put my phone on do not disturb and just be with like my brothers and sisters and just like praying together and if you think about it, everyone around the world at that time who are Muslim, you know, depending on time zone too, are yeah. doing the same thing. Like that whole month of Ramadan, we're all reading the whole Quran from start to finish. Yeah. We start on the same day, we end on the same day. So what you're doing and spending that time together as a, like as with your other brothers and sisters, you're doing that with the whole other entire rest of the world as one. Like that's so crazy to me, you know, because like just think of how big the world is to be on the same schedule and the same mindset, the same intention mm-hmm. with other people. Like that's like who who would want to miss out on an opportunity like that, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's kind of big when you really think about it like that. You know, it, it at least as for a, a specific amount of time that a certain religion and culture is on the same exact timeline like that really never happens you know everybody's different depending on what you believe in but that really is uh remarkable have to let's go back a bit right because mm-hmm. you come from a big family you talked about family an integrated family with your stepdad in the mix right which we'll get into in a little bit but four brothers yeah. three sisters before your stepdad came in the mix have so what do you remember most about growing up with your siblings man because you know that's a that's a full house it's definitely a full house and it's actually four sisters. There's, four. A, there's a fourth sister. There's a fourth one. Yeah, she's uh 12, 13. Okay. It's, Just came yeah. in the mix. She came in the mix. She came okay. in the mix. Came okay. in the mix. So it's um it's nine of us. So it's growing. It grew. It grew. It grew. 
<laughs> it grew. And like um, when it was eight at the time, um, I honestly just remember just always having like my older siblings there. Yeah, I think that's one thing where like it didn't really hit me until I was older. Like it really takes a village to raise children and met like it's not just left between two people like mother father like it no. really takes a village and my older siblings you know they came they migrated here from Sierra Leone um so my younger siblings like we were born here we, we lived in Sierra Leone for some time but we also just had a different perspective than mm -hmm. they did and they were part of that process in teaching us who we are and what we stand for um you know especially my my older sister like Sarikatsu, like she was like that mom figure in the house and like lean on her for everything like depend on her for everything um you know just added to that discipline but also like that pride in ourselves yeah yeah and also like with my older brother imam bashar like his name also literally means like leader of the people and like he was that like leader and second father figure in the house for us so it was just great to have that um and i mean like i miss it that's the other thing you know you you take those moments for granted like i i really do miss it when we we're all just there as one um yeah, yeah. so i want to ask you this next question because i really think it i think you can speak to it well but i also think it's very important because there's so many different challenges right and when we're young i think we kind of forget that like our parents are their own people you know what i'm saying like they gotta handle some things but mm -hmm. when your stepdad came into the mix what was that dynamic like were you were you and your siblings receptive to it because honestly being a step parent is a hard job because yo just because you come into my life doesn't mean i have to listen to you or respect you or really like you you don't just get skin mm -hmm. in the game like that right mm -hmm. but what was that like for you because man you know as a young adolescent growing up and trying to figure out life you know that can be tough man and and, and that can really sit with you and you can resent the 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 person that brought this person in so yeah how did you navigate through that individually yourself and what was those talks like with your uh with your siblings yeah um it was it was a shocking moment like once we realized you know mom was getting remarried um because in that time it was just us and mom you know like we grew up our dad we lived with our dad but when we were with mom it was just us and mom you know and my my dad had remarried so like we were used to seeing that but mom was always just with us yeah. so you know when alpha came about like we were just like who is this man <laughs> <laughs> we're so we're when I say we are so protective of our mom, like we, we would go out to the mall, like, you know, my mom, my mom is a good looking woman. So if we ever caught someone looking at her, it was like, you, you want problems. You, want, you, guys deep you know what I'm saying? She rolling with her own security guards and didn't even know it. Like <laughs> That is hilarious. So like, you know, like first my stepdad to come about, it was like, okay, what, what is going on here? And it took some time. I'm not gonna lie. I think more so for me than my younger siblings, it took some time for me to realize, like, 
you know, she is her own person. She is her own woman and um, does have to be happy in the life that she's living. And I think women even made it easier because he's such a great guy. I think that was the part too. Like I had to take the time to get to know him. And, um, you know, and I think the other thing is too, like we're very, you know, East Coast wise, like we crack jokes. Like even my mom, like we just crack jokes. Like we make fun of each other and like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, are they being rude or intentional? But he Mm. is so sweet. So like he was kind of like so positive and you know like affirmation based and all this type of stuff and like oh, who's this man like, <laughs> <laughs> Look at this nice gentleman man what are you doing <laughs> i don't know we hard over here like we gonna do that it's <laughs> like what is that so i and that's the other thing like i admire him so much in that you know as a man and as an african man like he's very um receptive to his emotions and emotion of the people around him and his family He's willing to sit down and have a conversation. He's willing to like, he truly cares and isn't going to like, just say, oh, well, suck it up, get better. Like that's a culture you're raised on, but he was, he's such the opposite in, you know, wanting to take the time and understand what your, you know, mental conflicts are, understand like what it is that you're going through life. And so as a, as a young age, it was good that we were able to see that and also affirm that, you know, he's that type of woman that person that my mom needed um and yeah i mean like and he's a very devoted like muslim man like he's a social worker in like los angeles and like just living a good life but at the same time he devotes himself like um every day to the quran like he legit takes the time to read the quran every day and then um hired a tutor to teach him the quran and like that's the thing. It doesn't matter what part of life you are, what level of life you are, like to humble yourself to the moment where like, I still am learning and I'm to the yeah. point where I'm going to have someone else teach me like that's huge. And to see that um, figure in, in like my family, like it's inspiring. So yeah, I mean, like I said, it takes time, but you really do need to be attend like intentful in getting to know the person that is um, being brought onto your family and they, they, you never know what they can bring to you. Yeah, Emes, I completely understand everything that you said. You know, one of my best friends, I, uh, his dad told me, he was just like, man, I've only tried to bring around other good men who can fill in the voids that I may not be strong at so my son can see a full picture. And I was just like, yo, that's big. Like, that's a big mm-hmm. statement right there. So, man, shout out to all the step parents out there. Uh, that's not a hard job to, not an easy job to do, but, you know, credit to the ones who are doing their best. I mean, that's all we can really ask. Mm-hmm. Track and field have where our paths later cross, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, when did you start taking it seriously? Because I think you told me before years ago that like you did track and Sierra Leone, but you didn't really remember it, right? So, so what age, when was that time that you started saying, man, you know, maybe this could be a different avenue here? Uh, 2012, watching 2012 Olympics. Thing is, I was already in college running track. <laughs> I'd already gotten a scholarship, like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't take it seriously until, like, 2012 um, Olympics. I was watching it, um, and realized that there wasn't really a prominent representation of Sierra Leone. Um, And 
doing sports was always something fun for me, you know, and joining that way. And reason why I even accepted a scholarship in college was I was in there as a nursing major. So I was like, oh, you, all I have to do is run. You pay for college. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Good math. But <laughs> yeah, like, whoo, you could do yeah. that. Um, but then seeing what the potential could be and having like a stronger or building a stronger Sierra Leone presence um, was my reason for taking it seriously. Mm. And I always tell people this. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm a dual citizen. I was born in the U.S., spent time in Sierra Leone as a kid. But I've always seen myself as an African first. You know, like mm. I grew up in an African household. Like I speak the language like I know where I'm where I'm coming from. And I know the traditions, the cultures and continue to learn those. So the decision to represent Sierra Leone was just easy. It wasn't even a decision, you know, that was, that was it. Um, so like over the years, I realized I needed to figure out and find, you know, the process I was like studying. Um, I was going on YouTube, doing all the studying and watching. I know, you know, this is a uh, <laughs> that, uh, block his block. The video start or the clip the, from the side end with the toe drag. This guy is one of the most prettiest runners I've ever seen. Bruh, I, wa I watched that video so many times. I was toe dragging like five, six steps. Just yeah, I, I tore, I toe drag so much that I tore my abdomen and got a sports hernia. So I needed to get away from that. So I had to get away from it. That that video set people up. Man, because it's like you have to be a certain level of strength to be able to mm -hmm. get away with that consistently. Oh, yeah. And Asafa, okay. Asafa's a big man. Man's like 6'2", six, 6'3", two, six, 200 pounds probably, right? So, yeah, I know I know the exact video you're talking about. No. And, like, that, that's the thing. Like, I was out there just studying everyone um, and just was set that goal of making it to the Olympics. So... 2016 it's crazy i i didn't even realize the timeline i set for myself i just said i was gonna be at the next one and four years in setting a goal in 2012 you know i'm at the next olympics but yeah. then i realized like i didn't really foresee what life afterwards would look like like yeah. everyone's like okay cool you're olympian yeah i'm like all right where the money at where are these opportunities where is where the money <laughs> at <laughs> You know, like what what's next? What's now I'm an Olympian? What y'all about to do for me? Like, you know, like I've done all this to get this title. What y'all about to do for me? And I'm sitting at home like, so ain't nobody coming? <laughs> <laughs> y'all not knocking on my door? And it was weird because it wasn't until years later that like I realized post-Olympics, I was depressed. Like I was legit depressed. I didn't know, I didn't know what depression felt like, but I just knew something was wrong. Like I did not want to. I didn't want to continue running. I didn't want, I didn't know what my next steps were. And I've never been in this position um, because I've always felt like through life, I would set a goal and do it. Like there was no if, ands, or buts. Like from college to like wanting to be the first um, person in my family to go through like a four-year college, graduating from there to setting the goal to be in Olympics, doing that to like all these different things. To now be in a position where like, okay, I've done it, but I never really thought what happens next. 
Mm. Oh, so, um, yeah, it took some time to kind of like put those pieces together. And I still feel as if up until today, like there's moments where I even question like, ah, am I, am I on the right path? Like, you know, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this goal good enough? Is it, is it a weak goal? Is it a strong goal? Like, and I think part of that is just having such high expectations on what that life as Olympian is going to supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then realizing at the end of the day, you still got to make those choices. Like no one's going to come at your door and be like, here's a bread of like a basket of, of money and like contracts and stuff like that. You, you still got to set yourself up for what that rest of the life looks like. And I think that's something that, you know, other athletes, no matter the sport, need to understand, like, once you do reach that highest level, you still need to set up another <laughs> another step for yourself, another goal for yourself. It doesn't end. Like, that's not, okay, I'm good with life. Some yeah. of us, like, you're what, 23, 24? You're a kid. You're still young. You're still so young. It, so it's, it's funny you say that, because it's like, you know, for me, people always ask me about glimpses as well, too. And I try to tell them as honestly as I can. I'm like, yo, Regin, this was never something that I set out and said that I wanted to do personally, right? Because I was like, yo, I'm just going to go play football. I'm going to uh, go to college, play football, and then run track a little bit later because I'm like, yo, if they're going to offer me more money, I'm going to take the money. Yeah. Right? And then I'm going to kind of roll through it. But this is how I felt about the Olympics sometimes, and especially uh, where you are an Olympian at. It's often more appreciated in different countries more than it does the mainstream ones, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Opportunities are a little bit different. Like, for example, uh, back when the bah- Bahamian team beat the U.S. team, right? In oh, the yeah. war. So, the people that I spoke to on that Bahamian team, they're like, yo, when we got back and we landed, oh, man, they gave us all like acreages of land and all these different things. And I'm just like, you got an acreage of land. So you're kind of like mm-hmm. set moving forward if you know you you know what to do with that. But there are also other opportunities in different places like, man, Canada, you know, it, it, man, this is hockey country. Nobody oh, care. Yeah. nobody care that you're a little bit of an Olympian like it when you're in the moment right but that moment of care is a little bit different so as you talked about setting things up after you know but I want to go back to before you made that Olympic team have so when we first met it was World Athletic Center right so it wasn't Altis yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. World Athletic Center right I remember uh when i first saw you after you came in like in like somewhere between january and march 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 22nd or 23rd yeah and already i was just like yo she coming in kind of late i hope she's been training because you know, we're about to start ripping and running pretty soon right but the one thing i respected about you was the fact that you were always about your business kind of like how i was you would come in you would train hit the gym and you'll be out like you, you, you're, <laughs> not, you're not talking. I'll see you tomorrow. You come in tomorrow. If nine o'clock, you come in at like eight fifty. get your treatment, hit the track, hit the gym. And then you are out. Right. But what brought you to uh, World Athletic Center Altus at that time? Because, you know. It's tough to see a vision and it's tough to follow that vision 
And especially in the world of sports, there's a lot of highs, but even more lows, right? So what mm-hmm. made you want to continue running track post-collegiately? Um, you know, it comes back down to the reason why I started, and it's for the fact that I was representing my home country. And after college, I just was just like, there's so much more I can do here, just representing and being myself as an athlete, because I saw... I believe I competed for Sterling the first time in 2013 and and 2014 was Glasgow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Commonwealth games. And during that games, like just the amount of appreciation that you talk about, like it's different depending on where you're competing from, like, like the Bahamas team, like just that appreciation of having someone there uh, as a Sierra Leonean and Commonwealth representing in pride, like that, was what I loved so much and being able to interact with my other teammates and stuff like that. So I was like, I want more of this. Yeah. Um, so with that, like 2015, I was like, I need some place where I can continue with my career. And just so happens my um, college coach knew John Godina during their time at UCLA. He was like, Hey, there's a group in Phoenix. I was living in uh, Northridge, California this time. There's a group in Phoenix pro folks. Like, I even knew they had pro groups. That's how you said. <laughs> I know I knew nothing about post track and field. I was like, wait, what? Like, I can't stay here. Like, <laughs> they're like kicking me out. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, yeah. I was like, this is. I was like, this is the first of its kind. Like, I never knew this was a thing. So I'm, I'm completely like a novice and um, new to this like track life post collegiate. So going there was just. Um, I was open to anything. I was open to learning. And um, yeah, I mean, it was like a different world, a different experience. One of the biggest misconceptions in the track and field space is that everybody's making money, right? But that's not always the case. I know for me, during that time when you got there, I mean, I had been sleeping on the ground for the first six months. Then remember Joel? Yes, of course, Joel, man. Yeah. Joel came and he let me use his air mattress and he was like, yo, this is this will get you started. But I didn't have any money back then, right? And I didn't have a lot to really work with because I'm like, yo, this track thing kind of has to work out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wasn't really getting funding from Canada like that either. That's a whole different story. And I'm not going to bash them in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> I also know that was a bit of a challenging time for you as well um, off the track, you know, because I said you would be in and then you would be out. You would be lifting and then you would be out. But that's because you were also trying to earn income on your side of well. So what were some of the challenges that you were facing during that time? And how did you find balance between training, not stressing about training, not stressing about uh, uh, finances? And being balanced enough to know, okay, I just got to get through today, then I can worry about tomorrow. So what was that time like for you? Um, that time was like tough and just kind of walking with blind faith. And like the aspect of not stressing did not exist. Like <laughs> I was stressed. But it's one of those things like you stress and keep moving on. You stress and wake up and go to practice. You yeah. know, because like, even as I, like we were mentioning, like, I had no idea what a professional track and field career 
was or looked like, you know, like my coach from college sent me down to Altus and was just like, professional training group, they'll get you, you know, going into um, the next stage in your, uh, in your career. Yeah. Had no idea in that and like, just what that involves and what it takes from like a financial standpoint, from like a support standpoint to um, physically or mental like state to be in. So going there, like my parents and I, we drove down to Arizona from LA, Um, you know, like, they helped me move in, situate me. I had never even been to Arizona, nonetheless, like Phoenix. You and me both. I, yeah, like selected an apartment online, <laughs> pulled up. It was like, oh, like I had no idea. Like, you know, so got there, signed the lease. Um, and like my parents were supporting me, you know, and like not saying like they, not saying like they truly fully, um, uh, knew what they were getting into it was more so like they trusted me following my dream and wanted to support me regardless of their child but at the same time you know giving the parent warning like hey you know like this is this is a challenge like we can't do this all the time like we gotta like you gotta figure some stuff out so like that first year i just lived that quote pro-life where i wasn't really working actually had like i just realized now i had like a this weird job that i got in college like my last year where i was just working online doing some social type it wasn't it was a weird website anyways i got fired from that through because of my (laughs) it was an easy job it was so easy the reason i got fired was because i ended up in nigeria and i had i was supposed to be online but i couldn't because it was like Uh, i got stuck in nigeria um i left my passport it's a long story left my passport in the u.s got stuck in nigeria longer than i was supposed to so then my day I was supposed to go into my shift online, I couldn't because I didn't really have like strong connection. Try to have my best friend, Brittany, like sign on and do the job for me. Didn't know what she was doing. Mm. So I was getting hit up with like, hey, you're making a lot of mistakes. What's going on? And then by the time I finally made it to the US, I had no little little side gig. My side gig was gone. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Brittany for trying though. <laughs> Shout her out, like for real. Um, but yeah, like that first year was really just support for my family and then like already thinking what is what am I going to do for the next year you know like how the heck am I going to continue with this so I actually got a job um as a physical therapy assistant um over not not a term is tech physical therapy tech because an assistant is different from a tech so -hmm. basically helping like the PT the physical therapy assistants and the physical therapist in um just the programs and instructions for patients so at like at Toka, the Orthopedic Clinic uh, Association over in Phoenix, um, they're like family, and like they were understanding of my schedule, knowing I was going to be there in the mornings, except for certain mornings when I don't have practice. I'd come in afterwards, and like I was on my feet, you know, like after yeah. practice, like going through this, like um, working, trying to support myself and everything like that with my track career, and then like afterwards like that was during olympic year after olympic year um you know like i still had that job but also i was like i need like more like it wasn't enough like i just realized like the burdens of one having to pay for my coaching having to pay for like treatment and then just a regular life like gas rent like all these different types of stuff and so like 
something I've always like told myself as a kid, like I was like, I'll never work in a restaurant. Like doesn't matter how low I get, I'll never work in a restaurant. And what the first job that I applied to when I came back from the Olympics was at a restaurant. Like, um, what was it called? Why am I blanket on the name? Wow. It's like right on the tip of my, yeah. But I applied to a restaurant and like, they were so impressed. They're like, Oh, you're Olympian. And at the same time, you could see that perplexed look on their face. Like, why like, are you? Why are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So like, it's crazy because like, as much as like, they admire what I was able to do as an athlete, you know, it's still having to explain to them like, yeah, I didn't get paid for that. Like I don't get paid to, to train and to practice, like compared to like other sports, like I have to pay, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I had to play for those services. Um, the benefit that I get is just to like be able to compete, you know? I mean that you got to pay for it. <laughs> like you got to pay the entry. You got it. You get- oh my gosh. You know, like, what, what yeah. don't we pay for? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, before I let you continue, have I remember you you said something like 2000 and and like not a lot of people know this one, maybe just like the intricate. And I think maybe, you know, a little bit, but, you know, uh, I did not want to run indoor that year. Right. And I don't mm-hmm. like Stu was like, yo, you got to run indoor, man. Like you, your times are rolling. I knew I was running fast. The whole training mm-hmm. group. It, 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 the Jeremy was a six five guy. Uh, this is some throwback names for people, right? Ryan <laughs> Milas was a six. Oh man, yeah. Man, this is like original world. Yeah, the original. Yeah. World. And but these guys were running six five, and there was a practice where you know we're doing block starts, and I didn't get out as well. But to forty meters, I'm still beating them by ten. 10 steps at least. So I knew I was running fast. And, and honestly, 2015, I probably was in 9-9 shape in January. Mm-hmm. But I remember Stu was like, him and Andreas, they cornered me and they're like, yo, like you're running really well. I think you should be indoor. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, I don't have the $25 to pay the entry fee. I literally did not have it. Mm-hmm. And so um, Anaso paid the fee for me, oh. right? I think... I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, Stu and them had a conversation and he did it for me. And even even when we got to North Arizona, Northern Arizona, um, we all had to share a room. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we all had to go eat out to dinner. And I remember I was there. I didn't order anything. I didn't want to go order anything. And Albert Huntley, shout out to Albert. Albert was just like, yo, bro, he was like, yo, you're not getting anything to eat. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not hungry. The ego comes out, right? Because you get a little yeah. bit defensive. You're like, nah, bro. Like, I don't, I ain't that hungry. I'm going to just sip on this uh, lemon juice water. <laughs> Take out the ice. I don't need no And he actually paid for the meal for me. And I'll never forget it because uh, the next day I was like, yo, like this has to work. Like something has to shake. And so it can be very frustrating when you're there applying for the job at the restaurant and they're like, yo, you, you should be good. We just saw you on TV, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. But um, it's hard to look for hope have so when the present doesn't look like it. So during that time, how did you, how did you stay hopeful and, and, and continue with a good attitude towards the sport? I mean, the funny thing is I didn't realize 
at that moment what hope looked like, I was just always in the mind frame of like, keep going. You know, like even when I didn't want to, even if I felt like um, I didn't know what my next step was or what the next day would look like, I just kept going. And in a way, like someone, like we might see it as something like, oh, that's great. Like, you know, she gets up and she's so like resilient, da, da, da. But at the same time, I didn't realize what I was moving forward towards or as to why. So in a sense, I was just like a robot going through that phase of like my life and just like not doing what I was, I thought I was supposed to do, you know, like, and it wasn't until 20. 18 when now i don't know if anybody not even people know this but there was a time in which like okay i have to make a decision like do i quit the sport do or do i stay here in altis and grind it through another year because i'm also the type of person who was like i'm gonna stick through and stay committed and see all the way through and see you know like i'm a committed person but i just that last season from 2017 to 2018 i just did not I did not have it. Like I just couldn't, couldn't stick through it. Like I just couldn't continue doing it. And basically my body started telling me this because there was this one week when Monday I went to practice by Monday night, I was sick, like take me to the hospital, like done, like fever, body overheating. Um, And like, you know, Wednesday I was fine again. So I could make it to practice on Thursday. Yeah. And this was during the summertime. So like, I thought, okay, maybe it was just one of those summer fevers. Next week, same exact thing happened again. And like, it was during the time in which mentally I was trying to make such a hard decision. Mm. And when I finally made the decision that like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going to go back to like, go through the PT school. Like I had um, support from Toka, the people from the PT uh, place that I was working, who were going to help me get into PT school and all that type of stuff. And at the same time, I was like, still checking like oh do I still want to continue attracted da, da, da. like if I do then I would have to do it in LA so I had reached out to Ryan Wilson yeah and I was like this man hadn't responded I slid in his DMs so he had I didn't have his number uh but I knew BJ BJ Lee yeah training with him and he's doing something BJ, right listen that man is like incognito I have no idea where he's at you no one ever knows where BJ is ever <laughs> I just be praying for him I'm like man That's- I, I- I, I hope you get this. <laughs> yes, that is it. Um, but he was out there and um, Don Harper was out there. And like, I just was like, he's like, just from what I've heard about him. I was like, he seems like that would be the coach, like in this moment where I'm at that I need to be with. And that was my last like option. I was like, if he doesn't respond or is not interested, I'm done with track. Mm. Um. And he hadn't for like, cause I reached out to him like months before that moment where I was like, I'm making this decision. Just as I made the decision, I'm going back to PT school, started looking and applying and everything. He hit me back. It was like, Hey, sorry. I was at world champs and stuff like that. Um, don't really check my Instagram. And then like came back to me. So then we had the conversation and he was just was like, you know, why haven't you run 11 two yet? And I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm trying. Like, I don't know. Like he was like, "What do you? What is it that you think you need as an athlete in order to run eleven two? And I was just like, "Basic building blocks, man." And that's the thing. Like, 
I felt as if like the time at Altus, like there was so much information, like especially that first time, there's so much information. And for someone who just didn't really know the sport, I became overwhelmed in the very technical aspects, you yeah. know, and put in a space where um, there was gaps in people's performances and just from like those who are just naturally born elite to those who could develop to become that elite level to those who just like their elite could be like a subgroup, you know? So there was different sectors and, you know, I didn't quite know where my sector was. So I was trying to go for like a mark that wasn't meant for me in that time. So I just realized I needed to go back to the basics. I needed like the ones and twos and threes, like the ABCs. And that's what it was. And that was the time I realized I need to figure out my purpose here. I need to figure out as to why I'm still doing this mm. because if I'm going to give myself another chance to do this. Like I truly need to go back to my why, like what is my why? And I realized it connected back to why I started doing this in the first place. And it's because for people who, my people who just didn't, I didn't feel had like a full on representation of who they were and the potential that they had. And yeah. so I remember like, I'll be at practice, like with like Ryan's workouts, which were, whoo, man. Um, and it'll be at a point, you know, those workouts where you're like, yo, I don't know if I could do this. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like you're out of breath. Couple of those. Yeah, I could stop right now. You can't say nothing. I could fake a, I could fake a complete fatigue, you know. And I literally will ask myself, like, "What is your why?" And my answer was the people. And I literally like even wrote it on my hand sometimes when, like, on practice days, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, "Oh, it's about to be a tough practice day because I don't even want to do this." Mm -hmm. I'll write, "What is your why?" So like, it just became like purposeful and intentful for me to constantly remind, remind myself like my why, because I'm now in a space where like, I, I, I said, I can make the choice to not do this anymore, but my why is what's going to keep me going. Um, and it's still the, like, even now, you know, I'm back with Altus and there's challenging moments um, still come. And my question always to myself, like, what is my why? And it's still the answer the people. And it's still a strong enough answer for me to keep going until 2024. Then I'm retiring. I'm done. But like, <laughs> but as of now, <laughs> as of now, and even after 2024, what I'm morphing my career into and within the sports phase still answers the question. Still answers the answer. Still for the people, because now as like a representative for the athletes and having a voice for the athletes within like our NOC, like. I can, I see myself, you know, answering that questions through those actions, you know, leading um, workshops, leading uh, conversations in order to support the athletes and do it in ways where I didn't feel like I was supported. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, to answer your question, um, it wasn't until after um, I had to, after I was like considering quitting that I figured out what my purpose was and, and why I was doing what I was doing. Wow, man, that's that's so very well said, Af. You know, uh, your 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 work with Sierra Leone, talking about representation. You know, um, obviously, to, to 2016. You know, you made the team, and you were the flag bearer for the closing ceremonies, which is quite the uh, quite the honor. Uh, uh, side question, side quick question: Was the flag heavy? 
It looked heavy. Was it heavy? It was heavy. No, it, okay, I'll say this. It wasn't heavy. It's just awkward. And then on top of that, like when you mentioned that, I started smiling because it was miserable because it was raining. <laughs> it was raining during closing ceremony. And like, you know, they have like the performers and everything like that. They're all in like these raincoats, right? Yeah, we, the flag bearers, couldn't be in raincoats because they had a, we had to be presentable in our outfits. So I'm drenched, right? My my wig that I had got slayed today <laughs> was all mashed up. <laughs> Bro, mashed up, and they taking pictures. And I'm just like, and the, as the wind is blowing the flag, I'm using all my core just to control. That's well, it, it, a whole race by itself. But your 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 work with Sierra Leone, uh, I think you were just in Algiers not too long ago, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. What one loaded question? One, uh, what were you doing there? Right. And then the other part is, you know, um, let me use the example. Uh, I was born in Jamaica, so I have dual citizenship. And mm -hmm. so one of the questions that I always get is, yo, why didn't you run for Jamaica? You know, yeah. people, people back home tell me, yo, you should come down here and train with Francis and you should train uh, with with Mills and all these different people. And, you know, I was just like, yo, like I, I absolutely get that. But I'm like, yo, I live here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's it's I'm going to compete for where I live because the back and forth thing is not going to be. But at the same time, you are not always accepted when the layers are a little bit differently. And to some extent, you know, I don't think fully Canada has fully accepted a bunch of us, you know. But when you decided to go back to Sierra Leone to compete for them after, you know, you've they may look at you and say, yo, this girl's American through and through. She's foreign, as they say in Jamaica, right? Did you have any backlash with the people that were there? How did you navigate through that? Did you feel accepted? Did you feel outcasted? Or was it a smooth transition back? What was what was that like? That was like, I will say this, Sierra Leone people are one of the most hilarious, funny people that you'll ever meet. Everything is sarcasm and jokes. Yeah. Um, so I was in, like, there was a lot of that, you know, the sarcasm and jokes. But I think for me, one thing that I had to show them was that regardless of, like, where I spent majority of my life growing up in the, um, the U.S., my household was Sierra Leonean. Like, yeah. my yeah. dad made it very imperative that in the house we only spoke creole like you're not speaking as they say through your nose english <laughs> in the house like yeah. and it don't matter how much you struggle with the creole you speak in creole yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like, that that was the thing like when i first my first time ever competing for sierra leone was in 20 2013 at the west african region two championships in burkina faso and going there to a country where it was predominantly French speaking, but also like I'm coming in and, and like, I'm, you could smell I'm American, like easy. And I'm meeting like my Sierra Leone teammates there for the first time, Sierra Leone officials. Um, and they're also like, and like I said, it's a predominantly French speaking country and we're like um, English based. So they're kind of standoffish in that sense too, but it was like from both sides, everyone knew I was American, complete outcast in that sense. But one thing I knew was that these were my people and I made it adamant, like I'm nowhere different from you. 
So they were shocked to, to hear me speak the Creole. Yeah. They were shocked to hear, because um, even where we were staying, they were trying to put me up in a hotel. Like our officials were trying to put me in a hotel. I was like, no, 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 no. If my teammates are staying there, I'm staying with them. Yeah. Um, they're eating that. I'm eating that with them. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, if you're making the choice to represent a group of people, you know, you are those people. Like, you're the voice for those people. You're the representation representation for those people. So, like, I did not see myself different from them, and I just had to constantly make it apparent to them. Um, and there were there was difficult times, you know, like um even last last season in Birmingham you know like every time I'm meeting new people and I have to constantly feel like I have to prove myself to them and it can be tiring and exhausting but at the same time like I put myself in their shoes Mm -hmm. where a lot of times you see people from like the UK or from the US and you think that's the best life but they don't they don't know what life is like (laughs) You know, and that that's not their fault. You know, it's because what they see on TV, what society tries to perpetuate this life is like. So, you know, they'll see me coming in like, oh, you think you could just like fake into this life as being a Sierra Leonean or being someone from back home. And it's like, no, I'm not faking like this. I am truly one of you. I know Um, about this. Yeah. Yeah, I know about this. So like it's just. I just know anytime I'm going to like interact with another Sierra Leonean, whether as a teammate, whether as um, a countryman, like I'll have to like show them that we're here, that we're in this together. So, you know, going to Algeria and I'll say this, it has become a lot like easier. Like a lot of people know who I am now. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah. just like um, I'm reading every, every single time, but it's more so once we are face to face, it's like they're checking. And I speak the Creole and then it's like, okay, they laugh at my Creole, but it's fine. But like, <laughs> but they like, know that. Yeah. 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 What were you say? No, I was, <laughs> man, I was going to say it's like they, they, sometimes they move the goalposts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, speak that she's doing this, but then they always add something else. Right. So okay. it's always an interesting mix, but a lot of times it's like, you know, it, 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 my Jamaican roots run deeper than my Canadian ones mm-hmm. because I don't consider, I consider my, I consider Canada my adopted country and I'm grateful yeah. that, that, you know, I, I came here and it's provided something alternative, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I, I, <laughs> I have not forgotten nor have I stopped living where my blood reigns through. So exactly. it's just interesting, you know, sometimes they move the goalpost. Um, You've always been a strong advocate, Hafsa, for women in sports on all fronts. But why has that been a priority for you? And 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 I ask that sometimes. I ask sometimes because it's like, you know, a lot of people will talk about how bad something is, but will not do their part to try and make it better, to try to alleviate some of the strains. So why has that been such a strong priority for you? Because you've done many different things to try and bring awareness to many different causes, but also be at the forefront of it. And at least if you can't make the biggest change or the biggest impact, then you try and find others that will, right? So why is that a priority for you? You know, it's because I am a woman in sports and growing up, it was such a battle to um, 
get my family even on board to the fact that like I was doing sports and granted I wasn't like I told you it was 2012 that I was like hey <laughs> I don't want to go to the Olympics yeah so I was doing sports at like high school and everything like that it was more so like that was something that I was choosing so school um all these programs any other stuff that like my family had a part in like I did. And I was doing it very well. You know, I was a straight A student, on roll, like tutor, all this type of stuff. But sports were something that I enjoyed. And I felt like that was where I was making a choice. Yeah, yeah. The ability to make a choice. So when that was like challenged and, you know, my dad for him, like being like a Muslim, like woman and also being like having that, you know, immigrant mentality. I want to say just because it's an immigrant mentality that when you come to the U.S., you follow that American dream, you know go to school, get a job, buy a house, you know, like have a family. Like that's, that's the American dream. White picket fence with a dog in the backyard. We ain't which got no dog. Which I've actually never seen in person. Like I, I, I don't even <laughs> know what that looks like, but I, I don't know why for that. <laughs> right? So like, that's what he wanted for us. And sports is nowhere in that equation. You know, like yeah, you get yeah. the job as an athlete, like there's no one's ever seen that. You know, like, and so the funny thing is, my love for sports was I bonded through that with him because we would always sit down in the living room and watch like the NBA, like playoffs and like finals. Like I became a Miami heat fan. Um, when like I was sitting in the living room watching Dwayne Wade and the Miami heat, like go for that win. So like it was through like what he's, he exposed us to that I became such a huge sports fan. But at the same time, when I was trying to take that on, like on a personal, like, Oh, he's like, Whoa, Whoa. He wasn't yeah. ready to receive it. He <laughs> wasn't ready to receive it. So it was truly like a battle. I'm talking like really a battle in a sense where is when he realized he calls it my stubborn, my stubborn times. Mm -hmm. I put my foot down like I'm doing this. But I remember when um, senior year came and like I even had like my coach come to beg my dad for me to like do it like freely because I was hiding and sneaking. Like yeah. I would tell my dad, like I was at a tutoring thing, like tutoring folks really, I was at a track meet like a couple of towns away and my siblings were covered for me. Wow. Yeah. Like, and I was going and like, I'll compete when come back home and like, was not able to share like my achievements with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so when senior year came, I came, I got so tired, like of having to feel like doing sports was such a struggle. I actually did not want to compete in college. Like I wanted to just go strictly be a student. I was like, I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to, you know, like just figure this out and just like forget about like sports, but I was getting scholarships. I started getting scholarships. So it was my sister-in-law, like Indy Murray, who convinced me she was like in the ninth hour, like it was like June or July. And by mm -hmm. that time, snagged up next school is about to start and she was like you can use this as a tool to pay for school you know like you don't have to like just throw it away this is like free money <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. go to school so that's where i was like I'm, like you gonna you gonna pay for my school yeah i'll do that well that in that case i'll be a nursing major i could pay for everything and yeah. then you know, yeah so like that's where i went to in that mindset and once i made that decision in 2012 to actually take it seriously in that way I realized like how different it would have been if I had that support from the beginning. Like if I didn't feel as if I had to fight 
just to do something that not only was I good at, but I enjoyed that made me happy as a kid, as a kid, I was really, I was a kid. So now like being an adult, like from girls in Sierra Leone to girls in the U S to girls in like Saudi Arabia or anywhere, like my goal is just to make their, their dreams, their purpose of doing something that is their choice and that they enjoy easier you know, and to try to make them be able to follow a journey or or a life in which you never know what it could lead to. Like they could be the first in their countries to do something. And that's because they had someone to support them and encourage them literally just by being there and clapping, you know? Um, So that's where I see like my journey as far as like supporting women and girls um, from having conversations to um building any type of support or raising any type of funds in order for for girls to just not feel as if they have to fight you know to do something that they should rightfully be able to do yeah you know it was uh uh uh, what's her name um she's a boxer it was uh the, the first fight in uh in dubai ramla ali right it was it was her and a couple others on the card and it was the first fight um for women over there and you know it it, it was a bigger deal than people were get were, were weren't really getting on the skin because it's like yo dubai doesn't you can't really you can't show nothing over there especially on the <laughs> women's side right um last question though have uh every every season explains something different to us right and every challenge that we face reveals something within us um if there was a word to describe the season of this life for you, what would that word be? And give me a little bit of context behind why that one word. Mm. I would say the word would be reflection. Um, because I'm in a phase right now where the things that I've prayed for, hoped for, A lot of the things that I've prayed for and hoped for I have, but I'm still wanting more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just yesterday, actually, um, I met a new massage therapist and he was like, what's your story? So I was like, oh, man, we got an hour. All right, I'll give you a quick rundown. (laughs) And um, he was just like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 31. He was like, you've done a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He was like done a lot and the crazy thing about it is it came like i feel as if i've barely done anything oh yeah i was having this thought the other day a hundred percent hundred percent with you and it gets kind of annoying when people say that because it's like yo no i haven't no no i haven't and the, but then i realized 31 years right in 31 years um let's look back at like where america was in 30 in like 31 years what's that math what year was that 31 years, years, years from now before before now uh you know, absolutely no yeah i went to junior college yo, oh so. wait that was 91 that was when i'm sorry i was that's being silly look at me being silly <laughs> yeah it just it just slipped my mind it's like yo that would be our it was like, it was like, be what, yeah 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 it's okay it's Cut this part out. <laughs> ain't nobody got no the brain is supposed hey, to be Sunday, right? Sunday. Uh, yeah. So in like 1990, so much has changed in regards to like the world in 1990, right? 
so much has happened like from technology to how society thinks to like what books look like the words that we use like even words before that couldn't would never make the webster dictionary or now there ain't you know like foodylicious like it's all in the dictionary yeah so if that much we have to reflect on as like a world as a society and so much happened during that 31 years like who am I to think I haven't done a lot in those 31 years? That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. You know, so like, that's where I'm like, at that point in my life, I need to stop and reflect on the things that I have done and the path in which God has allowed me to do those things and give thanks, you know? So like in this time in which I feel as if, Oh, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, Oh, I need to do more, but I don't know what, <laughs> Like, yeah. so what so I'm like that's a way for me to be like okay let me sit myself down somewhere and start you know really focusing on journaling and reflecting because there are things where stuff has happened where I have no I don't remember unless someone brings it up again mm. you know things that I've done for people or things that people have done for me then which I need to take a moment and be like thankful and appreciated of because there's going to be a time when you know, my kids, grandkids, or, you know, the future generation is going to ask and be like, okay, like, what, what was life like? Like, what did you feel like you've done? And if in that moment, I feel like as if I haven't done anything, mm. you know, that's taking away from what God has, has put me, like the blessings he's given me and just um, the impact that I've made to others in that time. You know, like I've, I, in myself, I've belittled, like I've made it like it's small or nothing and it's not. You know, whether it's a word, whether it's a presence or anything like that. So it's taking us time just to reflect and understand, like, the things that I have done, big as they are, small as they are, you know, do matter, hmm. should matter to me. Yeah. Um, and next time someone's like, hey, you've done a lot, I'll be like, yes, I have. And, you know, God willing, I'll be doing more. So yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that's a great word. So that's a that's that's not a good just a good reflection for you. It's a it's a much needed reminder for me as well. Um, and yeah, God's going to use you much much more in many different ways. Uh, before this cuts us off, half, uh, what is the best way for people to reach out to you, watch the journey, and to support? Um, my Instagram, Hafsa Kamar, H A F S A K A M A R A. RA. Uh, my email, which is my first and last name, Hafsakumar at gmail.com. Um, honestly, like you send me an email. I'm also not opposed to like sending my phone number, but first you gotta like we best in the world. Gotta crazy. know you like that. Yeah, yeah, I gotta know you, at least the first and last name. But like <laughs> um, reach out there and you know, I'm I'm always down to listen to people, you know, hear what everyone has to say, like talk things through, like I'm I'm the 